Good day, everybody. You're listening to the AOHP Caring for Healthcare Professionals podcast. I'm Corey Warden, Region 2 Director and Professional Development Chair for AOHP. And today we've got a great episode coming up. Today we're talking to Bryce Gorfler, who is uh, not only a safety professional with a you know prolific career and a lot of great accomplishments, but he's also an ASSP leader, and he does a lot of great work in the area of diversity and inclusion. So today we're going to be talking about about his career and um, and some of the different focal points that that he he works with. So uh, Bryce, short of me speaking for you, if you could give our listeners a little bit about yourself, you know, your career, education, uh, experience, anything that you'd like to discuss, we, we appreciate it. Sure. Thanks. Thanks so much for the invitation, Corey. My name is Bryce. I use the pronouns he, him. Uh, and I was raised outside of Washington, D.C., uh, really probably should have ended up going into journalism or broadcasting based, based on everything I did in in uh, middle and high school and then ended up in engineering, uh, at studying engineering at the University of Virginia. I did a, a, a bit of time in contracts uh, for a defense contractor before moving into design engineering, uh, system engineering, system safety engineering. I think at that point they realized I talked too much. They revoked my engineering card uh, and I found my way into uh, environmental health and safety. Um, So did a a few different things. I think my first step into it in the workforce was uh, as a product safety specialist. so really didn't didn't have much experience by way of you know this this concept of OSHA and things like that, uh, and slowly tiptoed my way in, uh, working for a, a larger defense contractor, lots of different industries, and and um, and eventually went into a role as a safety, health, and environmental manager for some of our larger manufact heavy manufacturing plants um, uh, with a union environment as well. So. Uh, Lots of, of dancing around, um, a majority of it actually with just one organization, um, but was able to work in, in lots of different fields. Um, I, I think that my my education, so uh, I talked about studying engineering at the University of Virginia and, and uh, safety engineering and management at University of Alabama at Birmingham, I think probably contributes to my experience, but but about equally as so um, do, do, does my background, right, and where I came from. Um, so so where I was raised, what part of the country I was raised, and I, I would contend that working as a lifeguard uh, allowed me to better understand how to instill a sense of urgency uh, into different different people um, so, so that they understand regardless of their communication style. I think I spent three years working as a transit bus driver. I think that contributed um, to who I am as a health and safety professional. Uh, it allowed me to better understand the importance of keeping a cool head when you are presented with some very unusual and challenging situations. Uh, my childhood obsession with Titanic, uh, the tragedy that is the Titanic, allowed me to better understand the importance of, of balancing kind of the business case and how businesses have to make money uh, with this concept of safety and, and um, kind of life safety. So, uh, you know, I, I do see it as a, a combination of both my my work experience, my, uh, you know, formal education, but also kind of my personal experience and upbringing. Yeah, that's outstanding. I like how you put that with, you know, how every every part of your experience has has relayed into your into your safety experience. I, I had the same kind of thing. I, I wrote an article a long time ago about how everything I did, you know, growing up and when I was in college and whatnot, I was in a lot of bands and you did 
small tours and things like that. Everything I learned there with um, communication and leading indicators and and of course risk management and, and hazard control. You know, we didn't know it at the time, but all that ended up being you know enormous lessons learned later on. So that that's cool. I like how you put that with the with the Titanic. That was that was certainly a um, certainly a, a safety case study before they ever knew what that was. Yeah, absolutely. And I think sometimes we discount that in ourselves. Um, I, I think we kind of want to refer back to maybe just what our education says. But uh, considering when you go to apply for a job, they don't just give you the job based on your resume, right? They have an interview and they talk with you and they get to know you. And there's so much more than just what's on that piece of paper. Absolutely. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, it's interesting. I I was I was speaking to somebody in HR the other day, not at my organization, but someone elsewhere, and they were telling me how it's become so uh, pivotal in people's experiences through the application process and the interview processes that not only do they have their resume in front of you, but you know they're checking social media and they're checking Google to see what pops up on people's names and. Um, they even ask, you know, is there anything you want to disclose that may potentially, you know, cause embarrassment or, or discredit to our organization, you know? So it, it's certainly an interesting time to be alive. Absolutely. <clears throat> mm-hmm. yeah. But um, I know in addition to, you know, all your pro- prolific work experience, I know you do a lot with ASSP as well. What What's going on over there? Yeah, absolutely. So ASSP, um, you know, a lot of us kind of fall into safety. Uh, uh, that's probably a poor term to use, but but uh, like like so many of us, I, I fell into the whether your field is um, safety, health, or environmental. I I did as well. Um, and at one point, um, a key leader in my organization recommended I go to this conference, right? And so that was that was the PDC. That was my first exposure to ASSP. At that point, I did not. F- fully grasped just what the ASSP organization was, uh, just the breadth of, of the offerings uh, and just how large ASSP itself is. Uh, and and so that's, that's where I first started. I think it was maybe 2014 or so. Um, and uh, so that's where I first started to get a better understanding as, as to what the offerings of the organization were and, and raised my hand to volunteer on, at the time, what was called Young Professionals and is now called the Emerging Professionals Common Interest Group, uh, currently serving as the membership chair on the advisory committee for the Emerging Professionals. have held a few different roles there. Um, very, very important to me that I am supporting uh, my peers, uh, supporting people who want to to develop. Maybe they're doing a, a mid-career pivot, uh, and so, so that I, I really enjoy my volunteering on the Emerging Professionals uh, Advisory Committee for that common interest group, and, and as well doing the same on the management practice specialty, uh, serving as a, right now as a member at large um, for that advisory committee. So I, I really appreciate the opportunity to hold those volunteer leadership positions. Uh, I was also afforded the privilege to serve on the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Task Force. Um, you know, in, in 2020, the American Society of Safety Professionals recognized that there uh, there was opportunity for their organization to really, um, I guess I'll, I'll use the phrase, step up their game uh, when it comes to inclusion, their inclusionary practices, their inclusionary marketing the way in which they solicit um, uh, proposals for programming and things like that. So, uh, you know, 
kudos to to the board and the leadership team put their money where their mouth is and 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 put this task force together that you know we were able to serve together with I, I must say some of the most remarkable people I've ever had the privilege to work with uh, and um, so these these individuals were able to Put together a, a list of recommendations for the board that's all available uh, on the ASSP website and the board did accept those those recommendations so really really exciting to continue to move ASSP forward as an organization uh, as an inclusive organization that supports our profession yeah that's wonderful definitely fantastic work that y'all are doing and I, I like you I've been very happy to see all all the progress. Um, you know, it's interesting. You mentioned that your first uh, professional development conference was in 2014. I, I think that's actually where I met you. So I, di I didn't know that was your your first time to come there. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I yeah, I think so. I think it, I think that was my very first one. Awesome. Yeah, that's cool. I know you. We had we had talked there, and um, and I um, I had I saw you a couple months later. I did a. a presentation at, at uh, the OSTEM conference. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm, awesome. I'm, and I'm presenting there just in a couple of weeks about uh, what we actually, you and I just talked about a few minutes ago about how all of the things that you do maybe in college as an extracurricular, you are volunteering um, with your school's newspaper you know newspaper or or you are doing something with the theater program or you're doing fundraising all of those things uh, too often we discount we don't realize makes you a very valuable health and safety professional or any type of professional right um, and so just because you were on um, you know, you were in mock trial or you managed finances for this fundraising organization, that could make you an amazing manager uh, one day. And that's something that you absolutely want to want to show off and flaunt during your interview. So a little bit of a side note there. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Very important. And that's something I'll be sharing with OSTEM uh, here just in a couple of weeks. That's great. Yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, always, always good, good people, good, good conference, good information. So that's fantastic. But um, yeah, so kind of kind of going back to what you, what you had discussed with your your work with the ASSP with the with the diversity and equity and inclusion group. Um, so as far as diversity and inclusion, of course, you know there, there's a lot to be a lot to be said about that. But um, for today's purposes, if you can give us kind of a kind of an overview. So what diversity and inclusion in, in the safety field, like what does that look like? And or, or more importantly, what should it look like? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so, um, you know, and, and this is the crux of my whole um, advocacy uh, purpose in, in everything that I do with DEI and safety is that our DEI journey is, is very similar to our safety journey. Um, uh, so, if, if you were to ask me this question, Corey, what, what does safety look like? And you were to ask me that question, what does good safety look like? If you were to ask me that 10 years ago, uh, I, would, I would have an answer for you. Um, but then if you were to ask me that again today, I would contend the answer might, might be a little bit different, right? Because it's a journey. We are continuously improving. We're always evolving and changing and getting better. And when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion, the same is true. Right. So what if you were to ask me, what does good DEI look like 10 years ago versus today? The answer evolves and it grows. Uh, and that doesn't mean that we were wrong back then. It just means that we get better every day. 
So practicing DEI in our safety field, it's it's critical. And I use the term safety, of, I'm, I'm referring to the broader uh, occupational health and safety uh, and environmental uh, field. It, it allows us to leverage the best minds that we have, a culmination of everyone's, what we talked about earlier, our cultural backgrounds, our experiences, the context, the, the places in which we grew up. So many of us will take those online quizzes. Do you call it... Um, do you call it sneakers or tennis shoes? And it kind of points to where you grew up, right? And that just speaks to language, just language. The terminology we use not only evolves, but can differ from, you know, within the same country, right? So, so being able to leverage those differences allows us to identify the best possible solutions to problems that are highest on the hierarchy of controls, right? So when it comes to safety, that's what we aim for, right? Is as high as possible. So I think the, the best way to describe what what good safety looks like. I, I, I'll, I'll offer an example of what that could look like today. So if uh, in our organization, we were uh, conducting an incident investigation and, and the maintenance manager is participating in the investigation and they decide to invite their new maintenance technician to that investigation. This technician is totally unrelated to the incident, uh, was not even in their shop or a task that they would do, um, but the maintenance manager decided it might be a good opportunity for them just to see how some of these things go. And so the technician comes into the, the shop, the room, wherever the, the investigation is taking place, doesn't say anything, they are just there to observe. And so during the discussion, the lead investigator turns to the technician and asks for their thoughts. And the technician, it's a totally different mindset. They were listening in silence, but their whole approach to, to the problem, the matter at hand is different because they came from the automotive industry and this is this is chemical. And so they, they offer, you know, hey, well, have we considered this? Because this was common practice where I came from. We always did it this way. This is what we just, I had come to accept it. And so that might not be something that the chemical industry in this case whether they came from automotive or, or what have you may have really thought to take that approach right because sometimes we we inadvertently we get a little complacent we get used to what we're doing and what we're seeing and we try to find solutions within those confines and so sometimes we need those different mindsets to help drive innovation and, and allow us to be more creative so in this case diversity is having that maintenance technician with a completely different background there in the room right so we have a mix they have a completely different background, so we brought them in. So that's diversity. Now, inclusion in this case is the fact that, one, the technician was invited. They were asked to be there, right? So, so somebody brought this individual in. And then, two, they were asked for their input, right? That's, that's the inclusionary piece, right? So diversity is having that mix, but then inclusion is making that mix actually work for us. And so that's, that's an example of what it might look like in the safety field. And whether we're talking diversity in uh, the, the industries in which you have worked or diversity of uh, gender or skin color or um, sexual orientation, all of those things, regardless of the aspect or dimension of diversity, allow that individual to think a little bit differently than how we think, right? So I think differently than you think, differently than they think. And that's what we want. We want to leverage that because if everyone agreed with the exact way that we all thought, uh, we wouldn't get very far. So that's, I, I guess that's an example of how I would describe today DEI looks in the safety field. Definitely, definitely, that's great. And I, 
yeah, I fully, fully agree. You know, it's, um, it's very important to get those different perspectives because even at the surface level, you know, in safety, you know, we have the surface and we have the root causes, et cetera. So even if we're looking at just the surface level of, of prevention at, at an organization, if we leave out, you know, if we have a, an organization that's got, you know, let's say 15 departments and you leave out five of those departments, then you're going to miss a lot of hazards. And that's just, of course, the, the very first, you know, surface level, but then you go down into the, you know, the deeper levels. And like you said, you know, you got different experiences for each experience, each, each uh, life experience and each perception, each per uh, perspective. So there may be factors with, um, with things like um, um, different, uh, different cultures and um, maybe um, personal health issues or insurance issues and all these different factors that are involved there. And if those things aren't covered, then, you know, somebody's going to get, going to get missed out on. So I, I think that's great that that's being, that's being looked at and it's being improved. And like you said, you know, it's a matter of continual improvement. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the, and the example I gave was very black and white, right? So, okay, we're, we're going to bring in a maintenance technician who, who came from a different industry. Okay, so that's that's very very black and white for for uh, demonstration purposes. But I mean, if we were to take a, another um, approach to it, a little bit softer, a little bit uh, more um, uh, more warm and fuzzy, if you will, right? So an an injury happened. Um, I think you would be, especially at a larger organization, you'd be hard pressed to believe that there's not a single individual uh, who who um, would say, yeah, I kind of saw that coming, right? And so as health and safety professionals, we want to say, uh, you knew it was going to happen? Why didn't you speak up? Why didn't you say something? And maybe the question is not, why didn't they say something? But the question is, what is it about our organization that did not foster an environment that encouraged this person to speak up, right? Was it was it fear of retaliation? Was it lack of inclusivity? There's there's likely something there. And so sometimes we have to also look inward uh, because to your point, uh, all those backgrounds, all those cultures, it, it sounds very nebulous. It sounds very warm and fuzzy, uh, but we need to go out of our way. It takes work. We need to go out of our way to find those people that we know have a different background and think differently um, instead of just naturally gravitating towards the person who has also worked in our department for 10 years or naturally gravitating towards the person who graduated from the same university that we did. That's much easier. There's no question that is much easier easier. Uh, that's just our natural um, inclination. Uh, we as humans, we are, uh, we're biased. You're biased and I'm biased. Everyone is biased. And so it's being able to kind of work, it takes work to begin to, to shat, you know, acknowledge those biases because we have them and then work to get around them to really solicit those other opinions that we know are going to challenge our own approach. Definitely. That's fantastic perspective. You know, it's interesting. I like how you put that as well, because if we look at that in in relation to the high reliability principles, you know, one of the five high reliability principles and arguably one of the most important, well, they're all important, but, you know, arguably one of the most prevalent is that we want to defer to expertise. So what that means, of course, is that in an organization, 
you know, you may have someone that they're not in the executive team. You know, they may they may not be a department manager or a division manager or even a team leader, but they may have a wealth of knowledge on a particular topic. You know, and if we don't, like you said, if we don't ask them for that and make them aware and and make them feel that they're welcome to share that expertise, then, you know, something could get missed. Um, mm -hmm. We found that a lot with the pandemic is that, you know, there's a lot of people that that have worked in just this is just one example, of course. Um, there's a lot of people that have worked in, for example, uh, military operations. And of course, everybody in the military is trained on um, to an extent, they're trained on counter sea burn, you know, chemical, biological, radiological, nuclear. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the principles that we've been using for contamination control for the pandemic, especially for things like mass testing sites and vaccinations and whatnot, a lot of those same principles come from those types of operations. So if you have somebody that is very familiar with that, but nobody asked them, you know, there's a pretty good chance you could have a lot of exposures to COVID-19 before anybody realizes how to set up contamination control properly. So, and of course, that's just one example, and that's just around a, you know, um, kind of a in industry skill set. But um, yeah, absolutely, all those factors play into it. But uh, so, speaking of all that, you know, that kind of takes it to the to the organizational level. You know, so ASSP is doing, you know, fantastic fantastic advocacy and getting all the information out and and serving as a wealth of well, the knowledge and resources to the to the safety health field, and then then the ASSP members pick that up and take it to their individual organizations. So, what are some things that that employers can do now? How can they um, how can they internalize this in their in their teams? Sure. So uh, there's there's oh boy, there's a number of ways that employers can can foster a better environment, right? That's that's the control that at this point employers and organizations have is is they control the environment. They they can make it look or feel a different way, um, not fully, but they can certainly influence and steer to particular directions, and that that can come about through training and then considering of course who you're training so are we are we doing a a 101 kumbaya training for our entire workforce or are we doing a very immersive direct training to our executive leadership team and then coming up with a plan on on what else we want to do um, especially in this job market right now it is absolutely critical uh to, to make us the most appealing right uh to uh, to the, the the candidate, the potential employee, right? And so what are we doing to make it, uh, you know, we're not just going to throw an Xbox in every break room and then hope that we get top talent. We, we have to really do the difficult work. If we're not, uh, if we're not getting uncomfortable, we're not doing the difficult work. So it, it is, it is, it is going to be challenging, um, but that training can help us get there and can help us understand what those challenges are, how to navigate them. Um, our, our organizations can can do a better job about celebrating diversity, whether they are heritage months, whether they are um, making sure they're sending out reminders uh, to the entire workforce about um, different religious holidays that are religious holidays that you may not be familiar with and they're coming up. So you may have a coworker that's not responding to your emails for two or three days. Maybe they're um, celebrating a, a very important holiday with their family that you're not familiar with. Uh, organizations can support what, what we call ERGs, employee resource groups, or business resource groups, or even affinity groups. So 
employee resource groups and, and business resource groups are, are groups that um, will will come together around a, a particular demographic um, and um, you know, help maybe advocate for policy change. Um, they'll volunteer in the community. They will influence even potentially products that the organization is releasing. Whereas affinity groups really, you know, celebrate those particular demographics. And and lots of larger organizations are really leveraging these um, again to even help drive their bottom line. Uh, looking at what again I, I referenced this earlier with training. What what leadership development you're doing for your current leaders, but also looking down below looking at what your succession planning is um, to move you you know your lower ranks up into leadership and making sure that we're targeting the right people um and so uh you know, i i will come outright and say it. a lot of people during different diversity equity inclusion trainings uh will will ask me so are you suggesting that um i i target a person of color uh, to to get more succession planning um, and and more attention, or are you suggesting that I promote women for the sake of promoting uh, a female? And the answer is no. The answer is no. That that we do not uh, promote or select or highlight or develop based on somebody's ethnicity, based on their race, based on their gender, but instead uh, we make sure that we are doing some introspection and looking to see where there are particular demographics that are not being afforded equitable opportunities. And um, one of the simplest ways to, to demonstrate that, um, the concept of equity, uh, is that if, if a, a finance you know program manager has has these two programs these two contracts and and one is is on target and to plan and the other one is in the red six eight months behind and over budget which one is that program manager going to throw more resources at the answer of course is the one that is behind schedule over budget not to plan Right. And, and again, that's just affording them uh, the, the proper resources so that they can be afforded the same opportunities. So I think employers or organizations can do a lot. But really, at the same time, we as individuals also need to acknowledge that we need to do better. We cannot just look to our employer and say, well, what are what are you doing to help celebrate? Why aren't you celebrating Pride Month? There should be more celebration around Hispanic Heritage Month. Uh, and and as individuals, we need to do some of that work. Um, you know, uh, c consider um, you know in the safety field. If I were to if I were to suggest that hey, we're going to have a safety toolbox talk once once a week, and then we're actually going to increase it to every day. We're going to have a stand up safety toolbox talk every single day. That's not horribly unreasonable. It's not unheard of. More mature organizations will do that because it just becomes part of the way you do business. But there's not a lot of people raising their hand and saying that we should be doing a stand-up talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion every day or every week or heck, even every month. And that's very confusing because we have clear business cases. Study after study after study shows us that Improved safety improves the bottom line and employee engagement, and also improved inclusion, improved employee affairs, improved diversity and equity within an organization also improves bottom line and employee engagement. 
So they're very closely tied together. The difference is the one has finally become more and more widely accepted that safety needs to be part of the way we do business. And that was done both from the top down from organizations, but also from the bottom up, right? We have our, our employee groups and safety committees, right? So when it comes to diversity, equity, inclusion, we need to do the same. We need to have this top down approach uh, where we are supporting it with funding and executive sponsors, but we also need to have this bottom up approach, this grassroots effort with employees who raise their hand and say, not only do we need to be celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month, um, but I'm going to raise my hand and offer to help arrange some of those things. I'm going to raise my hand and do some of the research to help us facilitate that. So uh, it's, it is a two-pronged approach here for sure. That's fantastic. You know, I, I like how you put that with the, how you compared it to the, to the safety committee. And the reason I say that is, again, you know, if we look at it at the surface level, you know, if you've got your safety committee, then we want to make sure that not only do we have representation, you know, from each functional area, so we have the different subject matter expertise, but then we also want to make sure we're covering, you know, the different levels of employment classifications. So we're not, you know, top heavy with management. And then, of course, we have um, all representation from all, all levels. So everybody that's working um, on the individual processes and then in the um, the team management all the way up to the to the senior management and then from there of course we, we want to make sure we get those different perspectives you know different backgrounds and different um, different life experiences etc and without that just at the fundamental surface level there's a chance that we'll miss hazards or we'll miss um, different processes that aren't analyzed or, or different um, uh, PPE needs and you know something as simple as PPE that, that fits correctly or PPE that um, that's comfortable, you know, and those are just just surface things. So um, just the safety committee is a great great example of that. And then, like you said, you know, there's a there's a huge difference between um, between pre predetermined selection and and looking for specific expertise or specific knowledge or perspective specific perspectives um it's it's kind of like when we look at the um the uh, disabilities act you know it's one thing if um if an employer is actively um actively biased in their selection that's that's one thing and that's of course against the law but it's another thing if if there's specific job requirements that are listed as essential functions and then we say, okay, well, can we make reasonable accommodations? And if we can't, then we say, okay, were these considered direct threats to the ADA? You know, and we go down that list and then we're able to make sure we get the right person in the right job so that everybody, you know, it's it's mutually beneficial for everybody. So um, same thing here is, you know, there, we, we wanna get those specific backgrounds, those specific experiences, get the get all the diversity and inclusion. And that, that, that way everybody is represented, everybody benefits from it. So I, th I think that's great. Yeah, and I think uh, you know, adding to that, if if I walk into into a room, um, is your safety, health, and environmental leadership council, let's say, or or what have you, and to your point, Corey, we uh, bring in uh, all the different functions, right? We make sure we have representation. But if I walk in, and every single individual in that room is a straight white male, I could argue, okay. We, we need to do better, even though we have representation from all the functions, 
we need to do better with diversity and representation. Now, it could be argued, well, every single one of these individuals went to a different school and we have people who have worked here for one year, five years, 10 years, and 25 years. And so we can absolutely find diversity in that, uh, but we can also find a sea of sameness, right? And so sometimes we have to be a little bit more proactive and actually deliberately find those people, go out of our way. Even though we checked all the right boxes, there still may be opportunity to do that, to go out and find those those different, whatever different looks like, right? We, we, can, we can confirm it one way or the other. Um, and that doesn't mean, so if I walk into that room and it's that sea of, of homogenous individuals, at least from the outward perspective, that doesn't mean that somebody did something wrong, right? This is not a guilt trip. Instead, we've reached a point after the OSHA Act in the 70s, we've, we've finally reached a point that we have to work really hard to, to be creative, to look around corners and to um, you know, get all of those different brilliant minds together to think differently. And so, yeah, sometimes we have to stop for a moment. Um, you know, um, Sheryl Sandberg and, and her book Lean In talks about um, women who are physically at the conference room board table versus sitting against a wall. And I still see it. I'll walk into boardrooms and there's plenty of seats at the table, but uh, there are women who are are seated uh, against uh, on the, at a chair against the wall. And I'm not going to go into why. And we're not going to say that, well, the, the, the individual chose to sit there or, or what this means and, and titles. But instead, again, what are we doing to say, OK, hold on, uh, you are a member of this team. I want to hear your voice just like I want to hear their voice and their voice and their voice on everyone at the boardroom boardroom table as there are empty seats here right now. So the physical boardroom table and the proverbial boardroom table, uh, even if that means we have to go out of our way and ask those individuals to speak up. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, I think that's great. And uh, I totally agree. You know, um, another antidote for that, you know, like in our case, when we've been working on for example, with um, uh, COVID-19 vaccinations, you know, if, if we don't have that that diversity and that inclusion in our in all of our planning processes, we wouldn't know. For example, that we need to have um, we need to have all the materials translated into, uh, for example, not only uh, English and Spanish, but also Vietnamese or um, or Arabic or you know different all the different languages that are represented and and um, again, you know, making sure that we have um, all the all the different uh, make sure the PPE fits correctly. We have the N95s that, it, that everybody can individually pass a fit test with. You know all these different factors. So, um, totally agree. Yeah, and, and no um, one's at fault there, right? There, there's no one who's in trouble for missing that. Instead, we we choose to celebrate. Hey, that's that is brilliant. Like I'm glad you found another respirator that helps fit more people. Right, that I'm so glad that we found that good catch. Right, we celebrate the fact that we're being more inclusive rather than pointing fingers and blaming that we may have missed the mark somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and um, I like how you put that also with safety. You know, in terms of um, in in terms of using that to build the culture, is um, that's something like you said everybody can participate in instead of instead of waiting for the you know, instead of waiting for it to come from the top down, you know, we can we can do those those safety moments and we can do the um, you know the safety communication programs or even even um, 
maybe not without maybe not with a budget, but we can do certain recognition programs. You know, like I do a lot of um, safety certificates of appreciation that I can do completely on my own without a budget. And um, a lot of the, you know, a lot of people there that they appreciate the recognition and that's something that can go on their resume, you know, and it doesn't require any resources, but uh, it builds the culture every time because that's one more person that's positively reinforced to address safety issues or to make recommendations mm-hmm. or, and they, they know they're not going to get any reprisal for doing it. In, in fact, they'll get recognized for doing it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah that's great. I, I appreciate your perspectives. That's in, fantastic. So with, with that being said, you know, we talked about employers and, and safety pros. So now we've got, of course, um, I don't mean this to sound like a bad thing. It's gonna—I was gonna say everybody else. Uh, so people that aren't, aren't <laughs> management and people that aren't safety pros, but so all the employee population or or, or the public. So, do you think that uh, diversity and inclusion has a direct impact on the on the level of safety? Yeah. No. Absolutely. Uh, there's there's no question, and and um, we're we're tiptoeing a little bit into the concept of psychological safety, which uh, is is you know a whole different discussion. But I, I think the crux of all of this, uh, or this particular question, is that you know, we hear the phrase "safety is everyone's responsibility." We hear that. We say it all the time. If we're not inclusive, deliberately actively inclusive. There's no there's no passive inclusion, right? You have to be actively inclusive in our workplace, our workforce, and in our communities, then we're not actually saying safety is everyone's responsibility. Well, unfortunately, what we're inadvertently saying is safety is everyone's responsibility so long as you look like us, you act like us, and you practice your job the same way we expect you to do it and the same way that we do it. So obviously, you know, that that is not the message that we want to send. So if we do want to say that safety is everyone's responsibility, whether it is the health and safety professional or another individual, um, you know, we, we consider how do we, how do we bring them in? How do we, how do we uh, you know, open the door for them? Why, why would we get you know these these different uh, roles and functions and departments involved with your targeted safety action committee. Um, you know, look at at finance, supply chain. Um, you know you you have your your senior leadership. You have contracts. Literally, I, I, I'm confident you and I, Corey, could could come up with any department, uh, function, or title, and we could come up with a way in which they could contribute to improvement in occupational health and safety. Uh, but again, we have to make that active effort to make it abundantly clear uh, that that we are open to those ideas. We are open to your supply chain mindset, to your contracts mindset, to your finance mindset, uh, because we know that you have something to bring, uh, and we acknowledge that we don't know what we don't know, and we want to hear what you have to say. Yeah, absolutely, definitely, and that's you know, based on everything we've, we've been discussing, you know, there's definitely a clear line there of bringing in all those perspectives and how that relates to hazard identification, assessment, and control, which, which relates to increased safe conditions, safe work practices. And, um, yeah, it definitely, um, benefits everybody. 
that, that's great. So um, this next part, you know, I know we talked a little bit about um, we've talked a little bit about like the OSHA Act and um, we mentioned ADA in there, but uh, as far as uh, regulations and standards, so for those that, that aren't familiar, um, what are the, the, you know, hard regulation standards policies that, that are in this area? Yeah, yeah, and uh, there's not a ton. Uh, there, there's, there's not uh, a, a, a ton that we can hang our hats on, and that's okay. Um, so if we look at, at safety, we look at safety in the United States, we look at safety in the United States, and, and there's this whole code of federal regulations, this whole OSHA thing, uh, and then they have consensus standards, which can be referenced and, and brought in by incorporation, um, but of course, which ones are updated at which times and what year is incorporated, but at least we generally have a list of rules, um, and then we can have letters of interpretation, and that's, that's where we started a lot uh, of our safety journey. A lot of organizations have matured past that, right? And we, we've we're kind of focused on on risk assessment competency of of our workforce to truly understand what risks are, and not just what the law says. Um, and uh, you know, we step outside of the United States and we go to Europe, and and almost everything is based on risk assessments. Uh, I, I, I would not venture to say which one is right and which one is wrong, uh, but but you know there's that different approach instead of having that list of rules. Uh, but regardless, I think we we can all agree upon that if we want to continue to get better with occupational health and safety and our performance, that we got to move move beyond just what those regulations are. But that's where we started. That's what helped really uh, spark a, a lot of this movement. So when we look at DEI. Um, there's some, and, and, uh, I can speak to the ones in the United States, um, you know, the, the, the civil rights act and equal employment opportunity, um, but there's not a ton, uh, and it differs country by country globally, right? Some of the best and most effective approaches, however, to really drive home the point, whether it's a business case or a personal approach appeal uh, around diversity, equity, and inclusion, especially in the workplace is twofold. So the one is anecdotes. Being able to share personal stories, and, and we see this in safety as well. You're, you're, you're seeing this ongoing parallel between safety and DEI. Sharing personal stories about DEI and things that you have endured in the workplace, whether um, a, a positive or negative experience, is so powerful. And the reason is because that is your story. That is your almost even potentially contributes to your identity and no one can argue that no one can argue that what you experienced as your personal story is not true they can choose to really think about it and digest it and mull over it or not but the point is that they can't tell you no that's not the case i read somewhere online that's not true right it is your personal story and um my site executive uh, at a small town in rural pennsylvania um he and i uh, when we first met it was a, a great 
uh, interaction, um, but how he interpreted the whole interaction was different than mine. And both of us over the next one to two months learned a ton about one of one another and actually went um, on the road, if you will, to a few different conferences and presented this. These were our personal stories. And if something impacts us so profoundly as individuals, it's no doubt likely to have at least some sort of impact on others. So sharing personal stories, sharing anecdotes is incredibly effective. The other uh, effective approach to really driving home the point, again, making a business case for devoting more resources to diversity, equity, inclusion, to focusing more on it in the workplace, talking about it openly and having mechanisms to navigate it is data. Right. So having the data that shows us that there still remains opportunity. Um, the, the fact that right now there are five generations in today's workforce, that is the most that we've ever seen ever. That is no doubt going to present some conflict. Uh, the fact that 45% uh, of black science, technology, engineering and mathematics employees say that they were treated as not being competent solely due to their race. 45%. Uh, 52% of women in uh, with science, technology, engineering, and mathematics degrees, they leave the field, they leave the STEM field within eight years. Uh, and those women with STEM degrees make up 41% of those STEM degree recipients. And they're leaving the field within eight years. Of the top five reasons that the women are leaving the field, not a single one of them is leaving to go start a family. Right, and so we have these assumptions that may not be the case. Instead, there there remains opportunity. Um, we ex we're, it is uh, what one study kind of estimated uh, up to a 30% increase, 30% increase in employee productivity. Strict, so right, 30% increase in work productivity that t you know, ties directly to bottom line when lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender transgender staff are openly out in the workplace. Right. And so, again, what what that means, we have to, to dig down and unpack that. That doesn't mean that we go around and mandate that every LGBTQ staff person must come out. But we do have to do some introspection. What is it about our workplace that may not afford these individuals to be open in the workplace? So what is it uh, that is causing some employees to question competence of black STEM workers. There's, again, it's it's not that necessarily anyone was deliberately doing anything wrong. Um, uh, it could be unconscious bias, which again is a discussion for another training. Uh, th there's tons of data out there that shows us we still have opportunity to improve um, with potentially marginalized communities. Uh, and and so uh, I, I would contend those are, those are the two pieces is sharing personal stories and sharing the hard and fast data are the two most effective approaches right now because to your point, there's just not a ton of strong regulation or standards uh, to drive DEI globally. That's great, great input. Yeah, I, I totally agree there is, you know, in. We, we see this with some, you know, as you know, with some safety ha safety hazards is in the absence of, you know, hard and fast regulations or standards uh, or even guidance in some cases, you know, being able to being able to develop, you know, the most effective advocacy and, and work toward those means is always always beneficial. Uh, so that that's great that your, your input is fantastic and I'm glad to see that that's happening. Because it's you, yeah. as, you, as you stated, 
I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Oh, nope, I was just agreeing, sure. <laughs> yeah, as you stated, you know, it's there's obviously enormous benefits, you know, from the individual career all the way up to to the organization level and then of course to the you know, to the country and the world as a whole. You know, there's there's benefits for everybody. Um so that kind of goes to the the the, the million-dollar question I always ask everybody is, so if you could if you could wave the proverbial magic wand, so if you could if you could change something, um, whether it's something in safety or or DEI, anything that you could you could just improve over over you know overnight, what would what would that be? So, so related to to both, uh, I, I this is you know, strictly Bryce personal opinion. Uh, I, it really appears to me that there's a lot of us versus them within our safety field. Um, and the two sides that I, I generally see include the safety professional who came up maybe studying safety, that was their aspiration, they interned in safety, some related field, and, that, and that's what they studied, maybe they pursued a degree in it. And then there's the safety professional who maybe started as a maintenance technician or a welder or a pipe fitter, and they worked their way up as a member of the safety committee, and they were really into it, and they took some additional trainings, and they uh, worked their way up to, to a promotion to a, a safety technician, and then eventually became a, a safety supervisor, et cetera. And, and, and I, again, I, I kind of see these two sides emerge at different points and, and butt heads in some ways. And I, I, if I could have, if I could wave a magic wand, I, I would want that those those silos, this us versus them, this um, you know pointing. Oh well, you know that safety director, they they've never done safety specialist work in their life or what have you. Uh, we need both. The fact is that we need both. Period. And so I I I, I wish that I could wave and make that all go away. Uh, and if I could wave the magic wand again. Uh, the other thing I would want to go away is um, just the vernacular of this is how we this is how we've always done it <laughs> or or I've, I've seen all that before that we, we talk about that in safety frequently that we want to get operations to stop saying that but as health and safety professionals we are also guilty of saying that. We are also guilty of talking about injuries or improper fitting of PPE and saying I've seen I've done it all before, seen this before, all we need to do is change it to this. Or th this is how we've always done. We've always distributed respirators in this way. Uh, we always maintain hard hats in this way. Uh, I, we, we really need to get rid of that because that's the definition of complacency, right? There is not a single professional operations or safety or otherwise that will enable a business to grow and continue to allow our workforce to work safely if we have that mindset of, Yep, like I had this exact same scenario three years ago. Here's how I addressed it, and that's going to be the best way to address it here. Not necessarily. Uh, and so I, I think these two things that I want to wave the magic wand towards uh, really tie nicely together, because if we are able to shatter the us versus them silos, the uh, the the different ways in which you can come up through the OHNS field. I, I do think we will be able to effectively remove this this notion of either we've always done it this way or I've seen this I've I've done it all before I've seen this all before. Definitely, definitely that yeah that's great perspectives and I I agree I've you know in in 
in my experience, so to speak. I've I've certainly certainly seen and heard both of those. That's definitely true. I I actually did a did an article recently um, about some. I, I gathered some peer feedback from from people that are in in fields that I've that I've worked with, but um, they're not quote unquote safety professionals. Uh, and that was one of the things that they had mentioned was that in many cases, what they're looking for is a you know a valid and reliable hazard analysis, or in some cases a, a incident analysis, like a fault tree analysis or whatnot. And what the safety professional came back with was they said, well, I checked with other organizations and here, here's what they're doing. And you know they said, well, that's nice and all, but what you're not accounting for is that number one, the other organization is you know one tenth of the size that we are. You know, in some cases, they don't have more than ten employees, so they're not required to you know report to OSHA and whatnot. Um, and as you know, you know there's a huge difference in um, you know a respiratory protection program when you're talking about a handful of people versus thousands of people. You know, just in fit test alone. Um, and so unless you're accounting for the operational variables, then, you know, you're going to miss something. So just bringing me a litany of other people's solutions isn't really always going to solve the issue. And then with the fault tree, you know, they're looking, of course, for, you know, all the all the causal factors, you know, surface cause, root cause, and all the all the, th all the ways that everything affected each other. And then instead what they did was, um, they had a, the situation they explained to me was they had a uh, formaldehyde leak in a laboratory out of a formaldehyde dispenser. And so they, they had called in a third party to do the, to do the, um, the cleanup and the remediation. And because they, they didn't have people that had the proper, the proper respirators and the proper equipment to do that or the training. Um, so they had them come in, and then of course when they finished, they gave them a report that explained what they did, and of course how much it cost. And and so the safety professional came back to the table when they were expecting a fault tree, explaining you know why the dispenser failed and uh, all the different variables, you know as far as conditions and work practices and anything that could be improved. They just came back with the report from the third party. And they said, well, this is what they did to fix it, you know, and it's it was, that's the the definition of a shortcut, you know. So um. I, I, I totally hear you, you know, when you talk about that is there's always going to be those um, those unfortunate situations where people will try to fall back on something that happened before, assuming that's the same thing that's going to happen now. And then also um, the um, falling back on the the um, the um, the what, what other it? organizations have done. Yeah, uh, well, what you were saying about the. Um, just the operational um, practices. Oh, that are, before, yeah, yeah. yeah. The ones that don't well, get improved. So I think, so, so and your example about, well, here, here's what other organizations are doing, right? So, and, and we, we use fancy terminology for that, right? Benchmarking, best practices and things like that. And, and there is something, there's some value in that because we don't want to reinvent the wheel, so to speak. And uh, so sure, there's some value in that. And, uh, is that always the best approach? Is that always going to give us the best solution, right? Is, well, here's what somebody else said. Well, 
okay, but what do we say, right? So take aside the fact that their organization may be different from our organization and just focus on, on the fact that, okay, well, somebody else already identified something. Is there more, right? When, when we have an injury, uh, do we simply look at a similar injury that happened two or three years ago and we pull up that report and we copy paste? Of course not, right? We want to do our own. We can use that as a resource, but we can do better, right? We're better than whatever studies they did several years ago, whatever thing they produced six months ago, right? We, we can't rest on our laurels there. We have to continue to really push to raise the bar. Um, so we can use that as a resource, but certainly don't want to just say, well, here, here's what the other organizations did because I that that is the ultimate in, in um, you know, complacency, shortcuts, as you mentioned, but also not, not you know, making sure you're taking that diverse mindset with all of the things that may apply in your situation. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, so tie it back to, to DEI there is, you know, just, just um, going on historical information you know, it's not only going to miss improvements, but it's going to miss different perspectives, different ways of looking at things, which in turn may be, may be potential solutions there. So ab absolutely agree. Yep. Well, heck, um, I know you're, you're very busy. I don't want to take up your whole day, but a uh, fantastic conversation. We're glad to have you here today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Corey, for having me. Uh, I, I would love to to wrap up uh, and, and just say, um, kind of a, a, a brief quip from Adam Grant's book. It's called Think Again, uh, forcing us to rethink. Um, and, and what he says was, what was once right may now be wrong, and that's okay. Um, and so that's what we talked about early, very early on in our conversation is, this is a journey. And what it looked like 10 years ago is a little bit different than today. Uh, that's just like safety, right? It's a, what was once right 10 years ago, right? We we used to use handkerchiefs over our mouth and we used to um, use cigarettes in our ears as hearing protection. That That's not what we do anymore. And that's okay. It, what was once right is is just wrong now. And, and so we grow and we evolve. Identities evolve, language evolves, and our practices evolve. Um, so it's nothing to feel guilty about. It's nothing to have anxiety over. Um, you know, we don't say that we're done being safe enough today. We don't say we're done being inclusive enough today. We always just get better. Um, we find advocates, people who can challenge our way of thinking. Um, Adam actually calls it his challenge network. Uh, I, I call him Adam like he's my best friend, Mr. Grant. Um, so just just continue to, to get better. Um, doing doing this that gives us competitive advantage we get the top talent it makes us safer and it'll help indirectly it'll help our bottom line all right well we certainly appreciate bryce's perspectives and insight and experiences definitely great conversation and the diversity equity and inclusion is just so important not only for safety but also for talent you know, talent recruiting and retention and sustainability and all of those aspects that are all improved. So certainly appreciate it. Um, if you haven't seen it, definitely check out our podcast. We're at um, anchor.fm slash AOHP. And on there, you'll find all 24 of our episodes that are up now. And we're going to be having more to come. So definitely check us out. You can also find us now on Apple Podcasts if you're an iPhone user. And you can find us on all kinds of other sources, such as uh, Spotify. 
Otherwise, check us out on AOHP.org. We're going to have webinars coming up, and we'll have all kinds of other opportunities to check out resources and speakers and presentations. And then, of course, going into September this fall, we're going to have our next national conference, which will be in Austin, Texas. So we hope to see everybody there. But otherwise, if you'd like to get in touch, please do. And we'll talk to everybody real soon. Have a great day.